I'm Christine. And I'm Alan. We'd like to thank you for tuning in to our discussion this week. Our hope is that we'll share some information that you will find helpful. So now we invite you to join us as we together listen listen for for the the word. Hi, everybody, and welcome to our podcast today. We are in the first Sunday of Christmas, um, and so it's really, really fun to start to look at Jesus's life. And um, today we're looking at Luke 2, verses 41 through 52. This is that wonderful scene where Jesus is in the temple, um, just just at the ripe age of 12, and uh, it's one that we all know and love, but uh, maybe we don't fully understand. So, Alan, take it away. Thank you. Um, yeah, our gospel lesson returns us to a theme we saw last year at this time, I think, when we discussed the passage that precedes it in Luke chapter 2, the one about the presentation of Jesus at the temple. As we saw last year, Luke explicitly depicts Joseph and Mary as a devout Jewish couple living according to the law of Moses. Uh, Here we learn that they went to Jerusalem every year for the feast of Passover and that it was their custom to do so. So it's an interesting, uh, this is an interesting sort of extension of that, of that um, perspective. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, I think in today's world, we don't realize how much the, ri- the, the rhythm of religious faith right. impacted people's lives. But Definitely. yes, a good, as you're pointing out, a good devout couple would mm-hmm. have done this. Surely, mm-hmm. surely. So um, now this particular instance I know is unique to Luke. Is, is that significant for our discussion? Well, I find it interesting that, you know, if you look at Luke's infancy narrative as a whole, pretty much most of it is unique to Luke. And the same is true for Matthew's infancy narrative as well. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, both Luke and Matthew are devoting a significant portion of their gospel to an infancy narrative, but the content is so unique and so different, even to the fact that they present Two very different genealogies, mm-hmm. which, you know, I don't think, I'm not sure everybody notices that, but oh, if, you, right. if you look at the details of the names, they are not the same genealogies. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, just as an interesting aside, there is a parallel to this episode concerning the boy Jesus at the temple in the infancy gospel of Thomas. Now, this is a Greek text that is to be distinguished from the, Cospic, the, the Coptic Gospel of Thomas. That's the one that's better known, mm-hmm. and it was simply a right. record of, of sayings of Jesus. But the infancy Gospel of Thomas was among the apocryphal Gospels, and it seemed that uh, their concern of the, the concern of the apocryphal Gospels was to supplement the perceived gaps in the canonical Gospels, particularly concerning Jesus' childhood and then concerning the time between the resurrection and the ascension. And that the version of this story in the infancy gospel of Thomas is dependent upon Luke's gospel is fairly clear. If you compare the two passages mm-hmm. in Greek, there's a lot of just uh, word-for-word correspondence. Very, it's very clear that the infancy gospel of Thomas is, is relying on Luke's gospel here. Uh, and the earliest mention of this document was by Arrhenius in AD 180. Mm-hmm. And um, he basically, he, he mentions it and mentions it as a false gospel. Gospel. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. we know that this gospel originates in the second century sometime, but it's it's already clearly um, derivative of Luke's gospel. So Luke's gospel has already established itself basically by well, this time. I think it's in- interesting anytime I hear about these because it's clear then that, that this this has been passed around. People yep. are, 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 are beginning to know the stories, beginning to maybe have a copy of the story. We, um, we, I think we see the vibrancy of the gospel tradition and, and somewhat the stability of the gospel yeah, tradition. Yeah. Because, I mean, even though there are in some of these apocryphal gospels, especially the infancy gospels, who knows where they get their stories from? <laughs> some of them are really crazy. Oh, they probably are somewhat made up. I mean, I oh, think they it becomes are. part of the entertainment. They were legendary yeah, yeah, yeah. stories. You know, there's a stories about Jesus making clay pigeons by the side right, of the creek. Right. And when the rabbi criticizes his father for it, he claps them his hands and they come to life and right, fly away. You know? So moving on, um, tell us a little bit more about how the, the placement of this within a broader context of the, of the story. Yeah, and in fact, I would say that the Revised Common Lectionary has made a serious error by beginning this narrative at verse 41. Um, although Luke 2, 39 to 40 serve as a conclusion to the story of Jesus' presentation at the temple, it is linked 
to today's reading by the theme of Jesus' growth in wisdom and in God's favor or grace. Mm -hmm. And that's significant. So the question here is where the focus of attention should be. If we start with Luke 2.39, the focus of attention is on Jesus. Uh, If we start with... uh, Luke 2.41, where the, where the Revised Common Lectionary mm-hmm. starts the passage, then the focus is on Joseph and Mary right. uh, and their devotion to the Torah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think really the focus here is, is shifting. And I think the, the lectionary misses the boat by not catching that, because the focus is shifting away from the, the right. early part of the infancy narratives where the focus is more on Mary and, and, and on, on sort of the other figures who are surrounding the birth of Jesus. Now the focus is becoming more on Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, Luke 2, 41 to 42 does begin by stressing that every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. Mm-hmm. I didn't find anyone, and I was surprised at this, I didn't find anyone who questioned whether Joseph and Mary would have been able to make this pilgrimage every year. Right. Um, uh, you know... It wasn't like they could just, uh, you know, hop on the train and 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 buy a ticket to Jerusalem. It mm-hmm. would have been uh, it would have been a journey, and mm-hmm. and they would have been staying in Jerusalem for eight days, and so it it would not have been without expense and without um, some degree of difficulty. But I would I think presumably traveling with their relatives and friends, as Luke tells us in verse forty four, I would think that made it more feasible. Now, it's true that the law required that every adult male attend the feast, but what we seem to find is that in this time frame, Jewish families in that day did so together. Mm -hmm. And so it may be more to the point that this compares with Samuel's parents, Elkanah and Hannah, Mm -hmm. who are said to have gone up year by year to worship and sacrifice Mm -hmm. to the Lord at the house of the Lord in Shiloh, and that's from 1 Samuel chapter 1 and chapter 2. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I think we see a parallel drawn. I think think we're, you know— Luke's intention is to is to portray Jesus' parents as following in this line right. of piety, right. I think, established by Elkanah that, and that Hannah. That makes sense. And, of course, you know, it begs the question, would Jesus have gone up with them every year? And you know what? Um, the, the idea that I saw was that there's no reason why he wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's what, you know, Luke proceeds to tell us here that when he was 12 years old, he went up as usual for the festival. They went they went up as usual for the festival. So, you know, is right. who's they? Is, who's is they? they the parents? That, right. that would seem to be a, a logical grammatical antecedent, but does it include Jesus? Now, last year when I was commenting on Luke's presentation of, of Joseph and Mary as devoted to fulfilling the law, I said that when Jesus was old enough, he made the trip with them, sort of as an allusion to this passage. Mm-hmm. But that was an assumption on my part. We don't really know whether Jesus went with Joseph and Mary every year or not. Again, mm-hmm. I think uh, the likelihood that he did is enhanced by the fact that they were traveling with relatives and right, friends. Right. So it seems like it was it was a larger group that went. All we're told, basically, is this incident happened when Jesus was 12 mm-hmm, years old. Mm-hmm. Now, in contrast to those who might think that he had come of age at this point, he is called a boy or yeah. a child, and the Greek word is pais. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this seems to be part of the point of this narrative, is that even as an perhaps older child, Jesus stood out for his mm-hmm. extraordinary wisdom, referenced both in Luke 2.40 and in Luke 2.52, and for his devotion to God's purposes. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, again, by comparison, Josephus tells us that Samuel was 12 years uh-huh. old when he began to prophesy, and that's in Josephus' Antiquities, Book 5. Yeah. So again, I think, I, I think Luke is kind of drawing this sort of parallel, mm, but I, I think, think Luke so wants to emphasize that all of this was usual or according to their custom interesting the new revised standard version kind of i'm not really thrilled with that translation they went up as usual for the festival um as usual doesn't really say the same thing as as was their custom and and uh, you know it's sort of um, Mm -hmm. an easier way a simpler way of saying it and we can we can miss it pretty easily but Mm -hmm. but um the 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 greek phrase katata ethos really implies that they went every year yeah and that has a usual just you know 
it, it takes away some of the um, some of the ritual. I think that you would imply with the custom. I think yeah. there's a usual. Usual sense. is a is a is a weaker word. Weaker. I think custom mm-hmm. has a stronger. Connotation. I agree. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And a point. Just heading back to the the idea that, um, of pice, uh, the child. Mm-hmm. This is interesting because you know as I'm thinking. You know, I've, I have boys. To me, this would say um, to a reader. This is someone whose voice hasn't changed. This is a right. child that we right. would hear talking right. as opposed to if you said 13 or 14, you might think of, you know, in the minds of someone that would sound like an adult. A I think, youth. I, yeah. You this, would call that person a youth. Mm-hmm. Right. That's an important distinction. Look, and I think it's easy to miss it with just the, the revised standard, right. the new revised standard translation boy. You know, we, we can just skip over that. We could think of a boy as, as being 16 years old or right. being six years old. Right. Right. <laughs> and it's having a distinct difference well and i think that makes a big difference you know you can have somebody come in with a deep voice who um you know my son has a really deep bass voice and he's 18 Mm -hmm. and yet we might say oh well he's still a boy this is going to be a a youthful a youthful voice Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Mm -hmm. the voice of a child a voice of a child so very interesting yeah Mm -hmm. now luke is summarizing here throughout this part of the of the infancy narrative and that's one of his narrative strategies overall both in luke and acts and so when he says he says that when the festival was ended and they started to return the boy jesus stayed behind in jerusalem but his parents did not know it that's in verse 43 it seems important that up to this point in the infancy narrative mary or mary and joseph have been the actors in the story and Again, here, for the first time, Jesus appears as an actor with his own personal agency. Mm-hmm. He has the ability to choose to stay behind. Likely, he knew that his parents and his fam- family and friends were leaving for Nazareth, but he chose to stay behind. Mm-hmm. And this will pay, play a more important role as we progress mm-hmm. through the narrative. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I hadn't really thought of it that way. I guess in my mind, as the parents, it was kind of, they left it behind. But really, we do see that Jesus really... Ex- Jesus stayed behind and he stays mm-hmm. behind and yeah. uh, that's an impor- important detail that I missed yeah. so okay yeah. he stays behind mm-hmm. okay so why why did Jesus stay behind well um you know we're, we're, we're going to find that out when we, maybe, when we get to his maybe when we that's get to his... the wrong question maybe why did Joseph and Mary leave him behind <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I, I don't think they knew that they left him behind actually I, I think I, you know I think we 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 have to understand that you know uh, they were traveling as a group, as an extended group, and they're assuming that everybody's with the group. Right. That right. would have been a logical assumption. And so, you know, that's what Luke tells us, I think. Luke wants to explain the reason why, why. Joseph and Mary could leave Jerusalem and, and assume that Jesus was with them. It was because they assumed that he was in the group of travelers. They went a day's journey, and very likely, you know, at the end of the day when it was time to settle down, they, they went looking for Jesus, and they didn't find him that evening and so then they return um so you know again the fact that they're traveling with their relatives and friends we don't know how large a group that was but i think we're meant to understand that they would have assumed that jesus would have stayed with the group when they left jerusalem i cannot help but go to the movie home alone (laughs) i know right so when you give the child agency Mm -hmm. which i have not done mentally in this Mm -hmm. really at this part Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. changes in my mind the space of of this (laughs) Yeah, it's These not like it, it's, their it's kid. not like Home Alone. It's more. It's more. It's more. Again, it's more. Jesus is asserting is beginning yeah. to see that he has he ha, there's a there's a calling on his life and he's beginning to respond to that. Right. Right. So very very interesting. Okay. Let's let's move on then. How when do we find? So then, you know, Luke tells us that after a day's journey, they started to look for him. And, of course, he goes on to elaborate that when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him and. Um, you know, again, and this would have been a logical assumption on their part. If he hadn't been with the group, he must have been in Jerusalem. But apparently Jesus was not where they assumed he would be. Um, perhaps they had stayed with someone in Jerusalem during the Passover. So Luke said that it basically, basically tells us that it was only after three days of searching that they finally found him. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine putting myself in their, their position for that searching for three days in a place like Jerusalem, you know, um, obviously it's not, it wasn't then the city that it is now, but it, I think estimates, conservative estimates were that it was about city. 90 to a hundred thousand people in still Jerusalem. It would have been a really big city yeah, it's for like, a young yeah. for three days. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Terrifying. Yeah. Right. 
So when Joseph and Mary do find Jesus, they find him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And the fact that Jesus was sitting among the teachers doubtless refers to the Jewish teachers, who would have included rabbis and scribes. And, you know, I think it's worth noting that here they're called teachers, which is a rather positive reference. And this is the only place in Luke's gospel where Jewish teachers are referred to in this positive Mm -hmm. way. Elsewhere in Luke, Jesus is the one who is called teacher. And I, I I think this points us to some extent in the direction that this is traditional material that Luke is using somehow in his gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, that I don't think Luke was responsible for formulating the language of this. There are theories in New Testament composition about preformed traditions. Mm-hmm. And I think one clue to that is when you run across a phrase that seems out of place. Right. That that you you know that that sort of catches your attention and and calling the rabbis and the scribes teachers just simply teachers he was sitting among the teachers in such a positive way and and presenting it in such a positive way this may be the only i think this is the only place in the whole gospel tradition Mm -hmm. that occurs so this suggests that this was a this was a story that luke uh, incorporated right, into right. his into his narrative. Yeah, yeah. I, I I agree. I've I've actually thought about this before because it does feel it is confusing. They're responding positively to Jesus, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But why not later? Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, why not later? And I think that that makes sense. And mm. it, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I think it. But I think it also reflects something of a difference between this period in his life and Surely. then his Surely. his public ministry yes. Yes. as well. And so it's well, and I think I, I think it has to do with the with the content of his of his ministry. So let's let's move on. What um, um, tell us more about Jesus here? Yeah. So it's not immediately obvious. I think that Luke intends to portray Jesus as sitting among the teachers, not as a pupil but as something of an equal. That, that's not immediately obvious when you read that passage, you know, that, that they found him sitting among the teachers. Because, I mean, that's what a student might do. He right. might, might, may as well just have been listening to them and just in, wrapped in the, in the right. wisdom that they were, you know, handing down. But the next statement seems to imply that he was sitting among them as an equal and not mm-hmm. as a pupil. Um, in verse 47, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. The all, in this case, doubtless included the teachers themselves, but it may have included others in the audience as well. So um, I think it's important to recall, again, that this segment of Luke's infancy gospel emphasizes Jesus' growth in wisdom. Mm-hmm. And the fact here that the Jewish teachers were amazed at his understanding indicates that even they recognized that, that they recognized Jesus' wisdom, uh, and so I think here we see the true focal point of Luke's narrative. Here, it's about Jesus' astounding wisdom, even at a young age. Um, now, as a side note, I, I, again, as you mentioned, I've always wondered why this didn't carry over in Jesus' ministry as an adult. I, I mean, you would think if they if they thought he was so amazing and wise as a young boy, why wouldn't they think the right. same thing as as a, a man? But I think the the primary offense Jesus gave as an adult was to question and reframe the whole Jewish understanding of God, mm-hmm. salvation, and what it meant to live a godly right, life. Right, right. And I, they, he did it in such a way as to undercut, you know, basically the very foundations not only of of their of their religious institutions, but even the power that they held personally. Right, right. right and so right. I think it's likely that Jesus at twelve was not questioning the teachers in such a confrontational I, I, way. I think that's right on. I mean, that makes 100% sense. But there were some basic answers mm-hmm. that one would have in discussion where they would agree upon. Right. Yeah. All right. So let's move on. Um, the parents heard him, and they were astonished. Yeah. Tell us, this is... Well, when the parents, when his pe- Luke says when the parents saw him, they were astonished. And, you know, we we saw in our survey of Mark's gospel last year that this verb ekpleso was a common response to Jesus by those who witnessed his ministry and heard his teaching. Uh, Luke doesn't use the verb ekpleso quite as frequently as Mark, but we do find it. But more to the point, you know, I think I think they're astonished to see him, you know, 
dialoguing with the Jewish teachers. Mm -hmm. But I think they're astonished because, you know, he's been missing for four days now, right? he's just fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Mary rebukes Jesus at this point. Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. Now, again, you know, the language that she uses here is not pice, it's technon, which is a more generic term. I, I think, actually, I would reverse the way the new RSV handles this. I would translate it the child Jesus earlier instead of the boy Jesus. Yeah. And I would translate it here, son, why have you treated us like this? Although it wasn't it's not huios, but technon sort of has that right. kind of idea, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. Now, the verb odunao occurs only in Luke and Acts, and it's used in three different passages in three different ways. <laughs> so that makes translation fun. Oh, wow. So here it indicates the worry or the distress that Mary says they suffered while searching for Jesus. In Luke chapter 16, it refers to the rich man's agony in the flames. Same word, odunao. Mm. Uh, And then in Acts chapter 20, it refers to the grief that the elders at Ephesus felt upon Paul's final departure from them. So three three occurrences of the word oh, there are four occurrences of the word two in Luke 16 one in one here and one in Acts 20 mm-hmm. and um, you know here it refers to worry or distress in Luke 16 it refers to agony <laughs> and in mm-hmm. in uh, Acts 20 it refers to grief so how do we translate this mm-hmm. this verb <laughs> um, we have several translations reflected in the English Bible okay. translation a lot of the sort of the major uh, mainstream mm-hmm. English versions these days stick with anxiety mm-hmm. uh, we, we have we have um, Search, been searching for you in great anxiety, as the as the new mm-hmm. RSV says. Some ver- some variant of that. Some use worry, which is a variant of that. Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. from the Common English Bible and the Contemporary English Version and the Good News Translation. Some older translations, actually, the King James Version uses sorrow, mm, that's and, a- and the American Standard Version follows that. And the English Standard Version is alone, I think, or maybe one or two others that that use distress wow. here. Interesting. Yeah. So, it, but it's because odunao is a word that is used, you know, in three different right. places in the New Testament in three different so ways. What would you What would you do if this if you were doing your translation? I think I might say we have we have been searching for we have suffered as we search as we search for you something like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's that that works. Interesting. So that's a, that's even a different one. You know, yeah. as 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 you were talking about this i i kept in this this place here do you think mary you know one of the reformers asked this question if jesus if she said this to jesus in front of the other the other teachers or whether she pulled him aside and i guess we don't know we don't know um we don't know and we don't really have any kind of indication from the text the conversation appears to be between Mary and Jesus. Mm-hmm. So to me, that would suggest uh, this was this was something that she took him aside for. The reason I, I ask this in particular, every time I have read this, I have created you know, what this would look like. And I had mm-hmm. always visualized it in front of the others. Mm-hmm. So this is the first time that I thought, wait a minute, maybe this was just, you know, she pulled him aside and said, so it... it now, the infancy gospel of Thomas presents it i think more as a as a as a as a uh, um uh, conversation in front of the teachers mm. and then interestingly the infancy gospel of thomas goes on to say that the teachers said is this your child and they dialogue oh, with mary and and basically say to her they, they quote basically what elizabeth's blessing mm. is you know blessed are oh, you among right. women and blessed <laughs> is the fruit of your womb <laughs> so that you find that in the apocryphal it, infancy it gospel is, of it thomas. Is inter- well i keep thinking of it in terms of um when i think of Jesus, the boy, when I think mm-hmm. of the humanity, I think, oh, she probably pulled, now, Surely. she pulled him aside. Surely. This is something I wouldn't say in front of her, oh, but absolutely. I bring him up and right. I say, what? You terrified me. What are you doing? As, but before, when I was thinking of, oh, this is Jesus kind of appearing, I always visualized the, maybe it was the God Jesus who's mm-hmm. in the people there mm-hmm. saying, look, mom, you don't get it. I'm 
right. uh, obviously different. So it brings very different images to mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm not sure. sure how important that is, but I, I think it's interesting as I process this throughout the years. Well, I think it's important to note that Luke doesn't really indicate clearly one way or the other, mm-hmm. but it, but the conversation is between Joseph, Jesus and Mary. Right. And so I think, I think it's, I think in Luke's version of it anyway, I think we're meant to see it as this is, this is this happening is between private. Jesus and Mary. Mm. Yeah. So m- moving on, um, that one of the big things that comes out of this is this whole dialogue about father, um, Joseph's role. Um, mm-hmm. So talk yeah. about this. Yeah, and and most scholars believe that that one of the ra- one of the major reasons why Luke includes this this narrative in his gospel is to introduce the contrast between Mary's statement, "Your father and I," and mm-hmm. Jesus' answer regarding "My father," which seems to be referring to somebody else. Now, um, I think also there may be an implicit contrast here between Joseph and Mary as a Jewish couple devoted to the law, which would prescribe that Jesus obey his parents, right, Mm -hmm. as he will do, as we later find out, and Jesus' own awareness of being compelled to engage in the calling to which he was born. And this really turns on how you interpret the phrase, uh, did you not know that I must be in toys to patros mu? <laughs> Which literally is in the things of my father <laughs> or in the places of my father mm. or in the whatever. It's just, uh, it's, it's en toys. It's a dated plural form of the definite article mm-hmm. in, the, in the whatever of my father. But mm-hmm. what's the whatever that's being imp- implied here, basically? Mm. So um, I think, you know, we, sh- we are to understand that there's an ellipsis in the Greek. And, and so what does it refer to? Well, most believe that it refers to the places belonging to his father. And so the translation, did you mm. not know that I must be in my father's house, which is the one that the vast majority of English translations right, adopt. Right, right? right? And that makes sense because, you know, here he is in the temple mm-hmm. uh, having these discussions with the Jewish teachers. Now, ironically, (laughs) the English Bible tradition um, departs from the King James Version on this matter, Mm -hmm. which is not, it doesn't happen very often. Remember, friends, even the New Revised Standard Version is is explicitly intended to be a revision of the Mm -hmm. King James Version, as is the Revised Standard Version, as is the American Standard Version, as was the Revised Version of 1881. All of those revisions were meant to be revisions of the King James Version, Mm -hmm. not original translations from the greek so uh this is unusual that they're departing from the king james version knew ye not that i must be about my father's business Mm -hmm. and only the message the new king james version the new testament for everyone by nt wright follow this translation although Mm -hmm. uh most recent translations like the new rsv list you know some Mm -hmm. form of it i must be about my father's business uh, as an alternative reading in the footnote. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, many believe that the phrase is intentionally ambiguous and refers to both. And I think that probably makes a lot of sense here because mm-hmm. I, I think it's both. I mean, it, I think the main focus of this is not so much where Jesus right. is, but whether what he's, what he's doing. Right. I, I you know, one of the things I think people don't realize is that the King James translators were brilliant scholars for their day. They were probably some yeah. of the best linguists available in England at the time. Well, and if you've done translation work, you find often that, oh, they actually say it the way I'm, I'm getting it from the Greek. Mm-hmm. And so I found that often that mm-hmm. I, I'll be closer to that in my own yeah. work. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, they were, I mean, they, they, they were working with a defective Greek New Testament, shall, right. if, if, if I can and say it that way right but but in many places you know their translation the reason there's a reason why the english bible tradition has followed their translational mm-hmm. you know tradition is because they did a, an amazing job of translating the bible um but i mean it seems like they're right here i mean the the main concern is you know did you not know that i must must be um um occupied with the purpose of my father with the things that my father wants me to be doing, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's more this sense of calling, uh, that has come, you know, from his father, God, and, and, and not so much, I I really don't think the the statement is that much about place. And I've never really, I guess, 
fully accepted it as just place. But, mm-hmm. but this is maybe the first time I've really thought about it. 99% of English translations translate it that way. Right. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? My father's house. Yeah. But yeah, I've always, mm-hmm. I guess I've always in some way, shape or form made that bigger than just mm-hmm. the space. But that's an important... And, it, it, you know, in deference to them and in deference to the scholars who, who, who take that point of view, I would say, you know, obviously that that you know makes sense out of the fact that Jesus is in the temple and they were searching for him and he says right, you know right. why right. it does you, make sense in that you, space shouldn't you shouldn't you have known to come straight mm-hmm. to the temple but um, I think more more to the point here I think the 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 purpose of, of Luke introducing this in the, in this trend in this narrative is that Jesus is already aware at right. this young age that he has a um, a purpose that is that right. is that supersedes right. his his um, duty to obey his parents, mm-hmm. and that is his duty to obey the calling of his father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, well, yeah. this is this is very good. Okay, let's move on then. How, so how Luke, res- yeah, yeah, Luke just observes that they did not understand what he said, which was you know not surprising. Um, and here probably referring to Joseph and Mary. I don't think that they here means the, t- the teachers were in on this conversation. I think we're, you know, we're back to Joseph and Mary. Okay, they did okay. not understand what he said. But despite the fact that Jesus, I think, you know, did this unusual action of remaining, choosing to stay behind in Jerusalem when he knew his parents had left, um, uh, you know, he did that because of this sense of a higher calling. He does now choose to set aside his higher calling for the time being because Luke tells us that he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. And again, I think we no- notice the, 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 the subject of the verb is Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. So here the, the action is turning on Jesus' choices. And Jesus here is choosing, will you know, willingly to be obedient to his parents until it was time for his mm-hmm. public ministry. Wow! All right, so let's move on to the next piece here, um, because it, we have kind of a conclusion as we move into the into this. Bit. Yeah, and of course, Luke concludes the story with the observation that his mother treasured all these things in her heart mm-hmm. in verse fifty-one. As I mentioned last year, in connection with our discussion of Jesus presentation at the temple and the blessings given them by Simeon and Anna. I've always seen this as a reference to Mary as the source of Luke's infancy narratives. Mm-hmm. And so I think I think there's kind of a both and going on here. You know, I mentioned that there may be some pre-formed tradition that Luke is using in this particular passage, but um, I'm thinking about things like the Magnificat and some of the very personal, right. you know, the Annunciation, some of the very personal things that, that only Mary could have told him right. about. Right, right. And so then finally, Luke concludes his infancy narrative with the statement, Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. Well, and again, and that ties back to that adding tie, that. I, I think piece. it's important for us to see that that ties right back to 239, which mm-hmm. is why I think it's a mistake to begin the passage in verse, um, in verse 41. Mm-hmm. Um, I would begin the gospel reading for the day with verse 39, mm-hmm. because I think mm-hmm. that makes a big difference. I think so too. Mm-hmm. And so again, you know, Luke is portraying Jesus. The whole point of this passage is that Luke is portraying Jesus as one with astounding wisdom and upon whom God's favor or grace. We need to note that the word, the Greek word is charis, God's favor or God's mm. grace rested. And this sets the stage then for the opening lines of Jesus' public ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus has already demonstrated his awareness that he must be devote, he must devote himself to his father's mm-hmm. business. And Luke's gospel will narrate the story about how he fulfills that calling uh, and the ways in which he will demonstrate his wisdom and the grace of God. Now, um, while this particular statement uh, that he grew in wisdom and in years and in divine divine and human favor could have been the concluding statement of the infancy narrative of any great figure in history, I think we'll find out fairly soon that Jesus faced rejection in the very first episode of Luke's account of his public ministry, which is his preaching in the synagogue at Nazareth. So uh, the trajectory of Jesus' life is very different from the, the other great figures who could have, you know, their infancy narrative could have concluded with something like this. Right. Right. So what a what a what a great little piece. It when is. You think about it. And you know, I 
starting this starting this section, I was always thinking of it, well, because it's that only th- piece that we have and therefore mm-hmm. we put too much emphasis on it. I'm not sure we do put too no. much emphasis on it. No. I think it's a really important, uh, after today in particular, a really important... Um, well, one of, the things, one of the things that I think is easily overlooked um, and um, gospel scholars, you know, people who study not only the origin of the Gospels, but just the very tone and the fabric of the Gospels, the way in which Jesus' life is presented, point out resonances with the Hebrew Bible in various ways. And one of the resonances that I think is so often overlooked is the resonance with the wisdom tradition in the Hebrew Bible. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ben Witherington wrote a book back in the 90s called Jesus the Sage, where he he really drew attention to... um, you know, the connections between the Jewish wisdom tradition in the Hebrew Bible and the way in which Jesus is presented in the Gospels. And I, I think I think we see some of that here, that Jesus is presented as someone having astounding wisdom, even at the age of 12. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hi, friends. We're back, and we're going to ask Christy to give us a uh, an understanding of uh, what kind of themes that um, the reformers drew out of this passage. Yeah, please uh, take it away, Christy. Sure. Well, um, obviously, that this um, is this story is unique, and everyone recognizes that too. I think it's important. You know, even though we have collapsing of the Gospels, they recognize they do recognize that mm-hmm. this one is presented only in Luke. So, um, I- I'm actually surprised at that, to be honest with you, because uh, you know, harmonizing doesn't lend itself to those kind well, of noticing those. They kinds recognize of it, but they don't analyze it in terms mm-hmm. of Luke's unique presentation of the Gospel, right? But mm-hmm. they recognize that that's the only place it is. I mean, they, they so were, it's just another story in the life of Jesus that you compile from all the Gospels. Yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly, and and it becomes. That becomes one of the kind of big pieces of this is this uh, recognition of the biography of, of Christ. And, and there, there tends to be a lot of, of popular literature and culture that functions around this. And, and actually, um, Luther's going to center his theology of the cross there. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and he will look at these different spaces in Jesus' life um, as, as being... Uh, pointing towards the cross. So it's very interesting. Mm. Um, interesting. I think another piece that we have to keep in mind is the Reformation emphasis on the human Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, so while we might have not have seen the attention to this in the Roman Catholic tradition, we definitely see it here. It, it really emphasizes Christ's humanity, this this you know, being 12 years old, part of that human walk. Yeah. So really um, um, an important part of the, of the uh, reformers' message. Um, so why? Um, and the reformers tell us that it is to show um, godly parenting, yet to remind us about Jesus, who true father is, and that this is really the main crux of it. I mean, I think there's all these other themes, but it seems to be that that's their, that's their main piece is to show who tr- Jesus' true father is. So, and Alan mm. pointed that out in, mm. in his discussion as well. Um, but godly parenting also. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of an interesting. So they, they recognize this tension in the story, um, that it's part of Christ who's in God's house, and yet also the experience by the parents. Mm-hmm. So in terms of some of the themes, um, one was the relationship between Jesus and his human parents. Um, and uh, they, they like the parents as they take the religious ceremonies very seriously, right? Um, and, and that becomes evident in this whole space. I'm kind of impressed that they picked up on the devotion of Mary and Joseph because um, you don't get that from Matthew, for example. Mm-hmm. That's only a for, that's only an emphasis in Luke. Yeah, no, but they so they've got to be paying mm-hmm. some attention to mm-hmm. Luke to be able to catch that. Mm-hmm. And you know, and as I mentioned before, a little bit earlier, uh, Luther really 
looks at this as foreshadowing of the cross. And and I talked about Christ as being human, but also Mary being human. I mean, Mary being the mother of Christ in the Roman Catholic tradition, as you know, is given her own kind of divinity. Um, and it seems to be that the some of the... The, there's an underemphasis in her human experience, really, mm-hmm. you know. And and Luther really wants to emphasize her suffering and mm-hmm. her grief. And so, and in this case, he says, "Look, there's this is part of these these different experiences. Mary has to have this baby, this baby, in a manger, mm-hmm. this baby under very bad. This is this is hard. And then the next piece is." had to flee to Egypt, mm-hmm. how awful that was. Mm-hmm. And then losing Jesus at the temple. And a lot of the reformers, Luther and Calvin in particular, but Melanchthon, the, the mainstreamers are like, look, this is harrowing for the parents. Yeah. And they really put an emphasis on this that I think is kind of whitewashed in the Roman Catholic tradition. I mean, this is, this is reminding them that Jesus is going to die in the future. So again, it's part of that theology of the sure. classic. I find it interesting that, that Luther and others make this connection. I mean, you know, we talked about the verb odunao and its various meanings, you know. You know, I'm not sure exactly what I think about, you know, tying a theology, a foreshadowing of the cross to, to the fact that, you know, Mary says, your father and I have been searching for you and have been suffering as we search for right, you, basically. Right. But, you know, there might be something to that. Yeah, that's a, it's, that's it's, an interesting it's a, it perspective. It is a really interesting perspective. And, yeah. you know, when you say the words, I think Luther would have gone so far to say agony. I mean, yeah. this was this yeah. was as bad as it could get. Um, as I said, Calvin does the same thing as, as Luther does, is in terms of emphasizing that, that grief. Um, but um, with, uh, uh, the next phase to this, though, is then... Others will talk about how her grief reminds us how our earthly desires can turn our attention away from God. And I thought that was a strange take. Now, this isn't Luther and Calvin. This is more of your more, I, I, we got this in a lot of your, your Puritans. So you're moving mm, into yeah. 17th century stuff, and you're moving into Synod of Dort stuff, and you're moving into this space of, of you can't do anything without, you know, this, this, this absolute sovereignty of God and this absolute continuing to be in sin and this idea that even this grief is sin because it's very selfish in terms of so again that's a step away so i want to make sure you're 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 all clear is that we're moving from mainstream reformers Mm -hmm. in the 16th century to that next space in the 17th century we've talked about this before um as as the positions become kind of rigid and as this theological position of of god's sovereignty and this is not calvin i would say this is puritanism because this grieving is is moving to that next level of being selfish so it's yeah i you know when when you when we're talking about this i was thinking of the word rigid and and to me senate of dort and puritanism i mean <laughs> those are two very good examples of rigidity in in theology and in christian yeah, life exactly exactly so what an interesting space, though, you know, as we think about how Calvin gets accused of this, and yet Calvin, <laughs> yeah, right. in this case, is really emphasizing mm-hmm. um, the beauty of the grief, and, mm-hmm. and really so does Luther. So yeah. um, I think that's an interesting... Good for them. Inter- yeah, an interesting sh- shift, though, right? Yeah. So another theme is this whole idea of Jesus being sinless, but yet... He's disobeying his parents. So, <laughs> <laughs> is that great? <laughs> Woo, he broke the commandment. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. And so this is a little, how, how do they explain this, right? <laughs> I've never thought about that. That's yeah. interesting. And so they get into a little bit of, of, tr- of trouble. And um, this is apparently a theme, actually, that some, and, and maybe you would know better than I do, but that that some of the fathers dealt with as well was how really? to. That's what they talk about, and they the only one cited was Venerable Bede. Oh yeah. Um, and and well, but he's 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 really late. He's he's really isn't he sixth yeah. century? I think he's five hundreds. Yeah, so, something like yeah, that. Yeah, so he's kind yeah. of a, a late father. But I thought that was interesting that they're dealing with some of these questions at all. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, how do you how how does how is Jesus sinless if he breaks a commandment? Uh, exactly. 
pad. Well, but I guess the real question is, is he breaking the commandments? Right. Well, and so then it becomes an issue of the Ten Commandments. And so the whole idea is, um, the, the, the Reformers claim this passage gives us permission to obey God over our parents. So in other words, the argument is that the first table is more authoritative than the second table. (laughs) So in other words, if indeed you have to obey your mother and father, and you put that, you can't put that above... the, you shall have no other gods. You shall have no other gods. Me. So this is this really interesting space. And so this is, as Melanchthon says, disobedience, quote, applies when parents prohibit the study of true doctrine, the confession of faith, or marriage. <laughs> on, on the other hand, outside these cases, one should be obedient to his parents. That is why here Christ returns home with his parents in perfect duty to his vocation. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, Melanchthon <laughs> sees sees this as as in perfect duty to his vocation, and I I framed it as Jesus set aside his higher calling to live in obedience with his parents. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and and it's amazing that all of this starts because we have to maintain the sinlessness of sinlessness of Jesus in the face of his apparent breaking of one of the commandments. Right. I know. Right. This whole all gets all gets here. Well, and then you know, then there's this sense of well. Obviously, Jesus is sinless, but his parents are a, a mess. Right. If it's not Jesus, you got to blame the parents, right? Right. And I found this funny, funny. I got to share this funny, funny quote from a, a Reformation figure, Niels Hemmer. He's not a main, major guy, but um, Niles Hemmingson. He's a he's a German fellow, and he says, "Look, these parents are lazy, slothful, and idle. That they would not always perform well as parents." <laughs> So, so in other words, he, he the parents left Jesus. They were inattentive. They were lazy, yes, slothful, and idle absolutely. because they left Jesus. But, but it misses the point that that the gospel says Jesus stayed. It doesn't say exactly, they left him. Ex- exactly, exactly. <laughs> Although I think what they're trying to emphasize here is just the sinful nature of humanity. That, oh, yeah. that humanity just makes. Even even the best of the best make all kinds of mistakes, and so sure. I think he's trying to show that because I there is, and particularly Mary's. We know Mary's elevated so far above mm-hmm. that she can't do anything wrong, and this really he's saying they're look, pushing back get on rid that. of this. Yeah. yeah, they're pushing back on that, saying, "Look, she's human too. Mm-hmm. She's very human." That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and again, you always have to put it in that context that these people are growing out of that Roman sure. Catholic sure. tradition. Um, um, so another theme is that these are kind of interesting, that the metaphors for living for today. And one of the interesting pieces by Lutheran pastor Johann Baumgart, who says uh, that a story is a metaphor for our tendency to lose Christ and the promise that we can find him again. <laughs> Sorry, this is just striking my funny bone. Did you lose Jesus? Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you can, go find him you again. find him again. And, I, you know, I, I, I would I would argue this is not really good exegesis no. in any way, shape, or form. But well, just the whole notion of how can you lose Jesus? Well, he said, and he, he says in his piece, look, you may come to church and just not feel that you have, or with, Jesus is with you, but that's okay. You're going to find him again. And as <laughs> it's, it's, it's bizarre as that, that is. That is bizarre. As bizarre as that is, I mean, it, it's kind of a beautiful thought. It, it, sure. it allows you to question. Sure. It, it ultimately, it's what he's doing there. But yeah, I, I would not preach it this way. This yeah, is I've, I framed it in terms of, you know, um, God or Jesus or, who, or the Spirit is, is constantly surrounding us with his presence, whether we're aware of it or not. It's just a matter of our awareness. Right. It's not yeah. that God yeah. has gone anywhere. Jesus has gone anywhere. We haven't <laughs> lost Jesus. You can't lose Jesus. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Jesus exactly. is reigning at the right hand of God. He's not lost. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's also used as a metaphor by uh, this passage by Luther. Um, he reflects on Mary mm. holding these things as a heart for for God's word, and that we too should be listening for God's word. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, Mary is the human by whom we are in touch and to whom we listen, the sinful voice that has God's unique blessing, and we should cling to the word above all things. Yeah, I've heard something like this, that, you know, just as Mary treasured these things in her heart, so we should treasure the, the words of Scripture in our hearts. Yeah, yeah, kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but a couple pieces there... Um, Again, I don't think I would use those either, but um, 
Um, they're it, they're kind of well, they're trying to, to make some them. kind of pastoral application yeah, there. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, again, I I, ch- I I chuckle. Actually, I guffaw at the guy losing Jesus, but I, I get the point. He's making mm-hmm. a pastoral point. You know, he's trying to help people right. give give right. them this space to realize that they they can be human and they they may not necessarily be in the in the tip top spiritual um, shape. You know, mm-hmm. all the time, and that's okay. I, get, I think my my kind of concluding point here, and I actually copied for Alan. We're not going to talk about it. I, 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 uh, a picture by Albert Durer of Mary and, and baby Jesus. But I wanted to remind ourselves as we were talking this podcast and really this position of the reformers is just the humanity in this passage. And I think mm-hmm. when I've read this in the past, I have read it more in terms of Jesus's divinity mm. and Jesus right. as being there right. with the scholars and realizing his true calling more than I have the humanity. But our reformers are seeing this through the eyes of seeing the human Jesus and seeing the human Mary. And I think that's a really an, an interesting piece. And especially as they're pulling this in, in, into, into this whole kind of narrative of, of this kind of biography of Jesus, human Jesus's life. Um, and so I'm going to le- end today with um, a piece of a, a, a poem series by John Donne. Um, he's, he's 1572 to 1631. You all know him as an English poet and also um, an Anglican priest, actually. Mm-hmm. And um, Donne is um, really, it, it, this is right at the time of it, Queen Elizabeth dies in 1603. So this is the... the uh, church under James I, right. who is um, running a church that's a kind of a mix of, of kind of um, Rom- Roman Catholic and Anglican, if you will, that, right. that kind of um, elevated um, pompous, because it was kind of almost... Yeah, the only a, distinction was that they didn't, they didn't obey the Pope. Exactly. They obeyed the Archbishop of Canterbury. Right. Otherwise, they were Catholic in a, every other a, sense. Exactly. Yeah. And the theology, too. Yeah. But also conflicting, then, with his own theology, which is more Puritan. Mm. So you've got this together going on with John Donne. And I think it's interesting that he chooses this kind of of story of Jesus and and he writes this poem and so this is just one of the pieces but this is the one that specifically pertains to Christ at the temple so I'm going to read it and I'm not I'm not an expert in reading poetry but but you can all enjoy so within this section with his kind mother who partakes thy woe Joseph turn back see where your child doth sit blowing yea, blowing out of the sparks of wit which himself on the doctors did bestow the word, but lately could not speak. And lo, it suddenly speaks wonders. Whence comes it that all which was and all which w- should be writ, a shallow-seeming child should deeply know? His Godhead was not sold to his manhood, nor had time mellowed him to this ripeness. But as for one which hath a long task, tis good with the son to begin his business. He in his age's morning thus began by miracles exceeding power of man. Mm. Wow, that's good. Yeah, it is good. Thanks. Thanks. Hi, friends. Ed. We're back, and uh, we were talking in be- in between our, our in our break here about um, really the theme that we saw was, should we be reading this as um, a commentary on Christ's humanity or on Christ's divinity? And so I'm going to let Alan share some of his thoughts. Yeah, thanks, Christy. Um, you know, as I, as I worked through this passage, you know, I talked about how Jesus was conscious of a higher calling and, and a, dev- a devotion to God's purpose. Uh, obviously, he he you know the, the passage in Luke's gospel stresses he has this extraordinary wisdom. Um, I don't think there's any further real um, need to see anything divine here going on. This is a a boy of twelve years old who, yeah, he 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 is keenly aware that he has a higher calling. He possesses a wisdom that is beyond his years, but. That's not entirely unprecedented. I mean, we, we talked about the, the, the parallel between Joseph and Mary and Jesus and Elkanah and Hannah and Samuel. 
And, um, you know, obviously I think we're to, we're to understand from the, from the summary passages that I think should be at the beginning, at the end, that Jesus grew in wisdom, you know, mm-hmm. and in favor, mm-hmm. that God's grace was upon him and, and, you know, God was granting him the wisdom that he had. So the implication is that when he is able to dialogue with the teachers at the temple, uh, he astounds them with his wisdom this is a wisdom that God has given him, obviously. But I don't think there's any need to see um, this as a reference to Jesus' divine nature, particularly, because, um, I mean, I see how people would, would make that jump, mm-hmm. you know, because if he's 12 years right, old and right. he's able to dialogue with the learned Jewish mm-hmm. scholars who've been studying all their lives, then he must be more than just an ordinary 12-year-old right, boy. right. Okay, fine, but but um, you know we have we have analogies for that in the Hebrew Bible of you know the word of the right. Lord comes to right right a, a person and and I'm not meaning to say that 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 obviously there's not a sense of of Jesus um, uniqueness as the Son of God, but I, I don't see this as stressing Jesus as the Son of God. He's the he's the Son of Mary here. Right. He's it's the son of Mary here, clearly, and yet he, he, as the son of Mary, he has been blessed by God with this mm-hmm. unique wisdom, this extraordinary wisdom, and he has been bestowed, you know, God has bestowed his grace upon him, and that grace has brought him to this higher calling. Yeah, and, and I agree, and yet I keep thinking about, and, and, and this, is, this has nothing to do with anything but a read and a perception and a way mm-hmm. I crafted it in my mind, I think I've always read this as a, a sign of, of, of Jesus' divinity. Mm-hmm. And I don't really have an explanation for that other than when I picked up the scripture and read it and have learned over the years that I have this image that comes to mind. So there's these pieces here, um, particularly digging through the Greek, that, that I find very exciting and mm-hmm. interesting ways that I hadn't before. One of the things for me that has struck me as so different, and, and I'm, I grew up Presbyterian, but maybe impacted by images from the Roman Catholic tradition, I'm not sure, but I was impacted by the agony experienced by mm. this, this concept by Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, also I was, I was struck by um, um, Jesus as the boy, mm-hmm. that those two things struck me in, in their Greek words and the careful selection of those words that we have talked about today um, and pulling them more to the human side in my mind than it has been in, in the past. And as I said, I, there's no nothing to that other than that's just how I've understood it. Well, and I would have to say, I think throughout my life, that was sort of the starting point that I had about this passage mm-hmm. too. And frankly, the thought that comes to my mind is um, an illustrated Bible or some sort of depiction of this scene probably would have had a boy Jesus with a halo. Yeah, I think we've right? seen that. I think it's been... And that colors how we read the passage, and we, we kind of gloss over some of the details mm-hmm. that, that I've tried to mm-hmm. highlight, you know, with my presentation of the Greek text. And, mm-hmm. and to me, this, this is, you know, maybe a, one of the best arguments for doing this kind of um, biblical exegesis work. It obviously works best with the original languages, but even if you don't have access to the original languages, you can still do it simply by comparing translations with one another, mm-hmm. or 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 just looking at um, you know uh, a good uh, commentary, mm-hmm. or just looking at John Calvin, <laughs> right? right? Right, and yeah. and um, so. Um, that and that that really is one of the points of of this kind of uh, careful detail to the pa- careful attention to the detail of the passage is that we all come to scripture with these preconceived mm-hmm. notions that have been shaped by whatever our experiences mm-hmm. you know as a kid growing up looking at bibles and looking at picture bibles and looking at you know going to sunday school and seeing the 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 color you know mm-hmm. depictions of bible scenes hanging on the mm-hmm. walls you know and you know, those things have colored and shaped the way I have perceived these these events mm-hmm. in the Bible and these passages. And, you know, part of the reason why we engage in the discipline of exegesis is to help us get past all that. Right. So 
let me go back and, 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 and interpret this then the way that I had mentally interpreted it. So if indeed you are looking at this divine framework, then this is kind of a proof text for right. Jesus's divinity, right. right? So you look at it as, oh, hey, it's in here, and Luke included it because he's just proving to us that right. Jesus knows who he is, that he knows he's God's son from his very, very young age. Right. So help us think, if we're going to look at this more through Jesus's humanity, why is Luke including it in the text? Well, again, I think the parallel with Elkanah and Hannah and mm-hmm. Samuel is instructive. Um, Samuel clearly uh, receives um, the word of the Lord at an early age. Um, he is an ordinary boy, mm-hmm. you know, whom God chose to use. Now, there is a distinction with Jesus, right? And and the distinction we've you know is already found in Luke's infancy narrative, you know. Um, um, in Luke's infancy narrative, we're told, I mean, the Annunciation says, you know, Mary has this dialogue with the angel. How can this be? And, and the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And so we know that there's something unusual about Jesus' birth, that he's not just an ordinary child. We already know that mm-hmm. from reading, reading Luke's gospel. Um, but I, I don't think this text particularly relates as much to being a proof text of divinity, so much so as it relates to the fact that even as a young boy, as a Mm -hmm. a 12-year-old boy, number one, Jesus possessed this extraordinary wisdom that God had Mm -hmm. given him, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. similar to the word of the Lord that came upon Samuel, right? right. And so Jesus had this extraordinary wisdom that God had given him Mm -hmm. um, and the grace that God had, had given to him. And, and then he also perceived that he had this, this, um, this higher calling of attending mm-hmm. to God's business. Mm-hmm. And there was a perp- God's purpose that was something that was, that was already a calling mm-hmm. on his life. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the fact that Jesus was an ex- extraordinary young man at the age of 12 doesn't necessarily translate into a halo. Right. And doesn't necessarily translate into a proof text of divinity. And I, I don't think that's the theme of Luke's I don't think that's that's what Luke's gospel is trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. You know, Luke's gospel is is gonna show us um um Jesus mm-hmm. as the Son of Man, which is a title that confuses people from the start. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know already from reading Unlike in Mark's gospel, we know already from reading the beginning, you know, that he is, you know, he has this extraordinary birth that is caused by the Holy Spirit overshadowing mm-hmm. Mary. Um, and and yet, you know, he, he, he fulfills his role in a way that is, that is so confusing to people that they take offense at him. They reject him from the very get-go. I mean, the very first episode of Jesus' public ministry is kind of transposed intentionally by Luke to the mm-hmm. beginning because he's trying to set the stage for right. Jesus' whole ministry. Right. Jesus is going to show people that his, you know, that the Father's kingdom is about including, you know, the prostitutes and the tax collectors, right. the prodigal son, you know, it's about the lost sheep. Right. And 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 it's not about who wins the the piety prize, you know, by by rigid adherence right. to the laws. Right. And, right. and so he's going to he's going to take people in a totally different direction than mm-hmm. they expect, and they're going to reject him for it. They're not going to love him for it. They're you know he's going to open up the kingdom of God to everyone by right. God's grace, right. and they're not going to love him for it. They're going to hate him for it. Mm-hmm. And so you know, I think to me, Jesus sort of precociousness as a 12-year-old mm-hmm. sort of is a is a presaging of the fact that he's going to be willing to obey God yes no matter what right right so yeah. Yeah. i mean is that divine is that human i don't know that maybe that's the wrong maybe that's the wrong uh, question to be asking you know i mean obviously there's a divine influence going on right. in jesus right. from right. the very right. beginning from his conception 
but um, I don't know that 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 that, that well, this passage necessarily stresses anything particularly divine, except that God is working in this young man's right, life. Right. Well, I think it's I think it's interesting because if you get out of the proof text concept of it, you know, I think what's interesting is, and, 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 honestly, I mean, if if God if Jesus is fully human, if, if he's, he doesn't. He's not born and has like in our in our medieval pictures have have you know the bless the little baby man Jesus He's blessing not born right born as a fully grown man <laughs> right I mean you have a baby who can only comprehend and function as a baby right. did so you can't expect a twelve year old right. to be fully aware of what the you know and and that's why I do the full think, ramifications of his calling yeah, yeah that's why I do think we have a, a space where we have Jesus come out in public ministry and maybe explain why Mark starts there mm-hmm. as opposed to having this narrative but I, what I do like is this reminder of that it, Jesus is a child of God born in this very basic way just as is everybody else and so it kind of falls into Luke's kind of gospel for everybody including yes. including babies and children yeah yes indeed yeah luke is known for focusing on people who are marginalized mm-hmm. who were would have been marginalized mm-hmm. in that day exactly uh, uh, we've seen already though that mark does the same thing right? right and so that seems to be characteristic of jesus ministry and as i said i mean you know, he throws open the kingdom of God to these people who were thought to be excluded and, 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 and you know, uh, forbidden, you know, from being a part of that. And, and rather than loving him for it, the people hated him for it. Yeah, and, yeah. And, um, you know, it, it's, it, it's kind of a, a strange irony. And, you know, it brings me back to the question, you know, why could they, why could they find his, his, his wisdom amazing and, and, and astounding it, in a pleasing way then at, as a child— and not as a man. Well, perhaps a, a twelve-year-old boy is not as threatening a presence well, as a well, as an I adult think that's man. Exactly. Is. I think that's that's definitely part of it. Um, yeah. um, and obviously, a twelve-year-old that his parents are gone that has the poise to be present. I think is also really interesting because, mm. um, um, and 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 a confidence. I think there's a confidence in God's ability to provide there that mm-hmm. is. Imp- implicit in that sure. in a scripture even if it's not Surely. explicit yeah well and i think that's the whole uh, that to me that that really is it kind of sums up you know the passage is that we see jesus as a boy you know devoted to god mm-hmm. in an extraordinary way and and i think it implies a kind of confidence in god and a trust in mm-hmm. god but uh, you know a higher obedience if you will mm-hmm. That, yeah. that, that this is a this this passage really speaks of, of Jesus right. higher obedience right. to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks everybody. I hope you enjoyed our podcast. Thank you. That's our podcast for today. If you heard something that was helpful to you, please subscribe to our podcast and tell your friends about us. It's our hope and prayer that our time together might bear fruit in your ministry as you build up the body of Christ. We hope you'll tune in next week. And in the meantime, let's keep serving each other as we together listen listen for for the the word. word.